Let us pray. O most gracious Father, draw near to each of us in our various places. Enlighten our hearts that we might know you more fully, more clearly, more thoroughly, that we might look and see Jesus as the Savior of the world, and not of the world only, but as our very Savior. Lead us and guide us that we might walk in Christ and not as the world walks. Restore us continually by your grace, and we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Whenever I take off my glasses, my ability to see becomes pretty bad. I'm not completely blind, I'm not legally blind, but I think of one of the other blind men that Jesus healed in the Gospels. He healed him in two stages. At first, he, when he first started healing him, Jesus asked him, what do you see? And the man says, well, I can see men, but they, they look like trees. That's kind of where, where I am when I take my glasses off. That I see objects, but it's just kind of blocky chunks of stuff out there. My eyesight is poor, it's bad, it's not that great. But yet with my glasses on, I can see clearly again. I can see what is around me. I can see the candles. I can see the cameras recording me right now. I can see the microphones that are hopefully picking up my voice and letting you hear me properly, I hope. And I can walk and I can not bump into things or anything like that. I don't need help to get around because I can see clearly. All of our passages today deal with eyesight in some way. They deal with light and darkness, with seeing and not seeing, with being healed and not being healed. It's a beautiful thing when our passages come together like this on a day like today. A day when we can't gather for public worship. A day when we are gathered in our own homes, listening, I hope, to this, and learning a little bit more from the Lord, letting Him speak to us, letting Him clarify His Word, letting Him lead and guide us nearer to His throne. As I said, much of what we hear and see today is about seeing. As I've read through this passage from 1 Samuel today, the main idea in the passage is I, my eyes were continually drawn to what the Lord said to Samuel when Eliab walked before him and Samuel thought, well, this must be the one the Lord wants. But the Lord said to Samuel in verse 7, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, Samuel had anointed Saul to be king. Saul had been an all right king at first, but he ended up rejecting the Lord. He ended up disobeying him multiple times in multiple ways, such that the Lord finally rejected Saul and withdrew his spirit from him. But nonetheless, Saul remained as king, and our chapter here opens with the Lord speaking to Samuel, How long will you grieve Saul since I have rejected him? Samuel was despondent. He was broken over the fact that he had tried to lead and guide Saul, and Saul continually disobeyed. That Saul withdrew and turned away from the Lord. 
The Lord had warned Israel not to have a king, but Israel was so desirous, so desperate to have a king that the Lord let them choose a king. And he anointed them and they chose Saul. One of the aspects of why they chose Saul was because he was taller than everyone else. He was a head above all others. And they thought that was a good thing. They thought that this tall man would make a great warrior king. He would make a great defender, a great protector, one who could lead our armies successfully in battle. And he did lead successfully a few times when he was trusting in the Lord, when he was following the Lord's commands and doing what he had been told to do. But he turned. He chose his own ways. When the Lord told him to go destroy an army and all of its people, everything that they had, he kept some of it for himself and his soldiers. When he was caught, he claimed, oh, we were going to sacrifice these to the Lord, though the Lord had said destroy everything. He persisted in that kind of disobedience, in the clear injunctions of the Lord, ignoring them. He persisted against what the Lord had called him to do. And so the Lord rejected him and he sent Samuel out. And he told Samuel, out of the house of Jesse, I have chosen one for myself. Here the Lord chooses his own man that will become king. He chooses the man that the people will follow, the people can trust in, the people can look to. He doesn't let the people pick the king this time. The Lord picks the king. And so Jesse, or so Samuel goes to the land of, and town of Bethlehem. And when the time comes for the sacrifice, the sons of Jesse pass in front of Samuel. And he sees them and he thinks each one is great. But the Lord says, I have rejected him. I have rejected him. All of them looked good on the outside. All of them looked like they would make great kings, that they would be great leaders. Something about them, they had charisma, they had good looks, they were tall. As the Lord said again in verse 7, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. So I guess Eliab was a taller man like Saul. And the Lord said, don't look at those outward things. Man only sees the outward side, but the Lord sees inside. The Lord looks on the heart of man. The Lord looks at our hearts. And in looking at their hearts, the Lord knew that none of David's other brothers, none of Samuel's first seven sons would make good kings. The Lord isn't saying that none of them trust in the Lord. He's not saying that they're not believers, but they are not the man that he has chosen. They are not the men that have responded in the way that the Lord desires with a whole and complete adherence to the Lord. And so Samuel asked, where's the other son? Is there not another one? Do you have other sons? And Jesse says, well, there's the youngest one, but he, he's out in the field taking care of the sheep. He's watching the sheep. He doesn't need to be here, and Samuel wants him. He says, bring him, go get him, bring him here. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the one that the Lord has looked upon and has seen his heart and seen it to be one that is receptive in the way that the Lord needs, in the way that the Lord desires. A heart that has been changed by Yahweh's grace. A heart that loves the Lord, and if the heart loves the Lord, then that man will love the Lord's people. You see, the heart there isn't just the center of emotions, as I've said before. It's the, the center of the whole being, the center of the man, his true self, 
And David's true self had been converted, had been truly changed by the Lord, renewed in heart and mind to follow the Lord, to pursue him, to consider the Lord's ways in a way that his brothers had not. And so the Lord chose the man upon whose heart he looked and saw the reception of grace. The Lord looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. We need to be reminded of that constantly, especially us as Anglicans, that we have our forms of worship. We have our prayers that we pray. And these are good and beautiful things that help to shape our hearts because they are filled with the Spirit because they're built on the Word of God. Already this morning, we've read four passages from Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospel, and a Psalm. But then we read the Jubilate, which is another psalm. And we read the Benedictus, which comes from Luke. And so we've read, at minimum, six passages of Scripture this morning to hear the word of the Lord. We've truly heard it this morning, and that's a glorious thing to hear the word of God so much. Some was us hearing and some was us responding to what the Lord has done. We've confessed our sins admitting that we are broken people, people who cannot please God, and people who do the wrong thing, who break God's laws. And that's a good thing. The Lord looks on our hearts, not on our outward appearances only. Man looks on the outward, and he might look at each of us and say, wow, what godly people they are. But would the Lord look on your heart and say, my, what a godly person this is. Do you mean the words that you say? Do you mean the words that you pray? Or are you merely adhering to the form and not letting that form and those words reshape your heart? Because that form and those words are filled with the Spirit of God acting towards you when you read, when you repeat, when you say back to the Lord His words. Are you letting the Spirit of God work in you as David apparently was? Here, such that the Lord had chosen him to become the new king, to be anointed and set up as the king. The Lord looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. And again, in our gospel, that's the same primary theme here. The Lord heals a man born blind from birth. The disciples are wondering, well, who sinned? him or his parents, that he would be born blind. I can't imagine being born blind. I can't imagine being totally blind. To not be able to see anything, to live in a world of darkness, a world with no light whatsoever, with no pictures to think about. And yet this man lived his whole life like that. And Jesus answered his disciples and said, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, this struggle, this brokenness that sin had created in him, sin in general, had created an opportunity for God's works to be made known, to be manifested. For people to see God act and bring about a healing that they might hopefully turn and praise the Lord for what the Lord has done. You see, Jesus reminds his disciples that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. There will come a time when you can't work anymore. There will come a time when you can't see to work. 
While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. He gives the light that we work by. Here, I think Jesus is meaning that up until his time of crucifixion, he is at work in the world, doing his work with his own hands, physically acting and bringing healing and words to people. But there's going to come a time when he will die and be resurrected and he will ascend into heaven and send his Holy Spirit and his disciples will then, having his spirit, continue his work and he will work through his disciples. And as long as they live, there is light. As long as you live, there is light because the Spirit of God is dwelling with you if you have trusted in Christ. He continues to work in you, changing your heart into the kind of heart that the Lord wants the kind of heart that's receptive to Jesus' work in you. And so the Lord healed this man born blind, and he begins seeing for the first time, and people are confused, and they don't know what to make of it, and they send him to the Pharisees who reject him, who reject Jesus more and more in this story. And we picked up at verse 28 with the Pharisees reviling him after he has confronted them with the reality that all he knows is, I was born blind, and now I see, and it's because of this man. No man has ever been healed like I've been healed that we know of. How could a man who isn't from God do such a great thing? And so they rejected him, they reviled him, and they mistreated him and threw him out. They wanted to merely be disciples of Moses, not realizing that Moses would ultimately and totally condemn them. The law of Moses the Ten Commandments and all of the covenant was against them. It was there to reveal their sin, and they remained blind to their sin, pretending and saying that we can already see. And what we see is that we are not sinners like you. We are not sinners like all the people around us. We have obeyed the law of Moses and do right for the Lord. But they had it backwards. They weren't hearing the truthfulness of the law, saying that you are a sinner in need of redemption. You are a sinner in need of true forgiveness. Your heart needs to be remolded, reshaped, renewed by the word, by the Messiah and the spirit that he will send. The Lord looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. You see, those Pharisees look great on the outside, but on the inside, they were not trusting Yahweh to send the true Messiah. They were not trusting the Messiah who is in their midst. They were not listening to his words so that they too could be healed inwardly with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of their spirit to look upon Jesus and to see who he truly is. But this man who was born blind not only received physical eyesight, he received a new spiritual eyesight that he could see Jesus. Again, that thread of seeing running through it. Jesus comes and finds this man and he asks him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And this blind man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And I love this. Jesus said, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. This man in front of you, Jesus says, Me, I am the Son of Man. I am the Messiah. And you have seen him. Both with your physical eyes as well as your inward spiritual eyes. And the man said, Lord, I believe. His spiritual eyes gave way to his physical eyes being opened 
and those strengthened his spiritual eyes, seeing Jesus with them. The Lord looked on his heart and saw it as one that receives grace, that is being changed and being receptive and being molded more and more into who the Lord desires him to be. You see, that's the double-edged sword of that saying from 1 Samuel. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord sees inwardly. The Lord doesn't look as man looks. He looks on the heart. In this case, in 1 Samuel, the Lord was looking at the positive things in David, but seeing the negative things in his brothers. There's two sides of that coin. Just because someone looks good on the outside does not mean that they are good on the inside. And just because someone doesn't look necessarily that good on the outside doesn't mean that inwardly they are good. And that's why we have to continually look back to the Lord, why we have this liturgy to reshape us, to remold us, to constantly take us back to ground zero of salvation, to the work of Jesus to save us from our sins. That's what we do when we confess our sins. We confess that we need Jesus. Do you mean those words? Are they flowing from a heart that has faith that the Lord looks upon and is pleased with? Because when the Lord looks on your heart, on my heart, he doesn't merely see my heart. For those who have faith in Jesus, those who have been baptized and trusted in him, he looks on that heart and sees Jesus himself. He sees the righteousness of Jesus poured upon that heart, washing away the sin that is there, turning it from a heart of stone into a true and living, beating heart. And the Lord sees that and is pleased because he sees Jesus' heart there. But when we turn away, when we turn to our sin and decide to choose sin over Jesus and we fall away and we look away from Jesus, refusing to look back, refusing to hear his word convict and turn us back to him, that heart dies. That heart turns away. But it can always turn back because the Lord is at work. When you hear the word read, when you hear it preached, when you read it yourself, the Spirit is there at work in you, renewing you, calling you back, convicting you, turning you from your sins, such that we might be like the people that Paul talks about in his epistle, to become imitators of God, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Be imitators of God, not of man. Be imitators of Jesus, not of the world. We are called to turn away from the ways of the world, from the sexual immorality and impurity and the covetousness, the idolatries of the world, and look to Jesus. We're to recognize that those things are inside of us already and to confess the sinfulness of those things so that we can be purified, so that we can turn and be thankful, that we can live a life of thanksgiving and love and know that the Lord looks on our hearts and sees Jesus himself in our place. The Lord sees Jesus. The Father looks down and is pleased because he sees Jesus over his people, drawing near to them, renewing them, making us children of light, so that we can avoid taking part in those unfruitful works of darkness. But we can expose them first in ourselves, 
continually confessing the darkness that clings to us, that holds on to us, that we then might carry that word of truth to those around us. But we don't leave people condemned in their sins. We then point them back to Christ, to the one who loved us and gave himself up for us, who looks upon us with compassion and mercy so that we can be renewed, so that they can be renewed. We always draw back to ground zero, to that place of justification, to that place of who Jesus is and his work for us. And the Lord looks upon our hearts, and what does he see? For those who have recognized their sin and been convicted by the law and have turned and cried out, have mercy on me, O Lord, he sees Jesus' heart beating, renewing us, his life flowing through us. And so may we turn and continually confess that we need Jesus. May we continually confess that we need that heart that the Lord looks upon and is pleased with, that we need Jesus' very heart in us, his love and his walk, his sacrifice for us that we need so that we can be imitators of God, so that we can then learn to not look on the outward, but to look on the inward, to look at the heart of others as the Lord leads us and inspires us and works in us to see others' hearts that we might know and share and direct them to Jesus. That is our calling, to direct others to Jesus, to turn their eyes to Jesus, not to our outward appearance, but to Jesus. We look to him that others might look to him, and he looks on us and sees us and sees our hearts turning to him. So may we turn to him continually and know his love and his mercy and his sacrifice on our behalf. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.